1: To the Your Personal Bank Show with Ferentz Stoth. In an era of chaos, confusion, and craziness, Ference is a voice for common sense. As a financial literacy educator, speaker, and entrepreneur, Ferentz cuts through the noise to help us understand how current events affect our money, economy, and our freedom. Now, here's Ferentz Stoth.
2: Welcome to the Your Personal Bank Show. This is Ferentz. Today, I want to cover some recent questions that I've uh, received from clients and prospective clients. I think this is a very valuable because I'm sure a lot of you have some of the same questions as these people had. So I'm going to cover those. I think you'll find it again very valuable. Before I do that though I I just need to address a couple of key points of business. Uh, One of those has to do with the Federal Reserve. Now I have not seen where nearly anybody has paid attention to this but a couple of weeks ago there was a conference where the heads of several of the large world banks uh the federal reserve bank of uh, europe bank of china the heads of each of these uh banks were asked a very very specific question and that question was this do you have any plans or are there any plans to reduce interest rates any time the rest of this year now they meant 2023 is what the question was referring to The answers that the heads of these different world banks gave was quite eye-opening, I believe. And again, something I don't think a lot of people are really paying attention to. The answers was, not only there was no plans to reduce inflation, I'm sorry, reduce interest rates in 2023, none of them had any plans of reducing interest rates through 2024. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means we're gonna have higher interest rates for quite some time, quite a bit longer than I think most people realize or are anticipating at this point. If the central banks follow through on what they're stating they're going to do, then we're looking at higher interest rates for another 18 months at least. Now, of course, the situations can change. The economic outlook can change. But from what they're saying, we're going to see higher than average interest rates for quite some time. And I think it's because they're really very concerned about inflation. You know, they they look back at history, you know, in the 1970s in particular, where inflation was a real problem that the Federal Reserve and other central banks tried to address, and every time they, what happened was they raised rates, inflation would pull back, and then once inflation pulled back, they would start lowering rates again, and inflation came back, reared its ugly head. If you look back in history through the 1970s, that actually happened several times. And then finally, in the late 70s, Paul Volcker, the head of the Federal Reserve, raised interest rates, the federal rate, to 20%, and that killed it off dead, so to speak. Inflation, that is. I've heard and listened to a lot of things like Jerome Powell, the current head of the Federal Reserve, has said is they're not going to make that same mistake. So just like it took the Federal Reserve a long time, very belatedly, started to raise interest rates. Once they did, of course, they did it very aggressively. In fact, the highest percentage of increases the Federal Reserve has ever done in their over 100-year history. So they increased not the highest amount, percentage total, but the greatest increase from 025 to over 5% federal funds rates in a little over a year. That, you know, a 20fold increase of interest rates in just over a year. That's the by far the quickest rate of increase the Federal Reserve has ever done. And again, they were slow to act. Many people criticized them for that, myself included, but they are stating they're going to be slow to act going the other way. And folks, I, I believe them. Um, they seem to be, again, slow to the party, late to the party, if you will. And then not willing to leave, so to speak, once they're there. Once they're there, then they, you know, they take over the the party, so to speak. So, I don't think we'll see. I don't believe that the economy and a lot of people have really factored in or really determined what higher interest rates, as they are, are going to affect things for a longer period of time. We're going to see, of course. But I just want you to be aware. In fact, I I shared that very fact where the heads of the different central banks were stating that of the world that they're not going to raise or lower rates, I'm sorry, until at least through 2024. And they were surprised by that because if you listen to the media and other kinds of things, you get a different impression, of course. We'll see, like I said, but I, I think it's important to understand that. Now, obviously, what does that do in general? Higher interest rates tend to be overall bad for business. Uh, tends to be bad for the stock market, so to speak. Not all areas, but b- big chunks of it. Um, certainly, tends to be a negative factor on real estate. So those two general asset classes, where you know the past decade were certainly boom times, highly it'll be highly more difficult for those to be uh, to see any kind of returns in those arenas like we saw the past decade. Again given the interest rate environment where it's at at least for quite some time next to a couple years let's say at least if not longer the things that are going to thrive I've talked about this on the show many times but it's your fixed interest assets uh, you, if you've been to a bank recently you know this it wasn't that long ago you couldn't get 1% even on a long term CD and today you know you can get 4 4% plus okay on savings accounts money markets and all that so banks have already those fixed interest assets have dramatically changed their returns to customers everyone that i've talked to every expert you know i've list, listening to and just looking at history shows that dividends with these insurance policies will be headed higher they will head higher likely for the next number of years 3 to 5 years likely if not longer that's if the federal reserve stops raising rates from here that's even if they don't go any higher And to give you an idea, the historical um, norm has been around 7-8% in a normal interest rate environment for what the dividends paid. So if you've already got one of these, great. (laughs) You're in the right place. Things are getting better. Buy low, sell high, right? If you're looking for something that's going to have steady, consistent, guaranteed, solid returns, you know, all that kind of stuff, certainly worth looking at. It's only going to get better as we go forward because of the interest rate environment. So where a lot of assets, I talk about this often, again, the things that you, think, that did, you saw do really well the past decade are probably not going to do so well this decade and vice versa. So the things that really struggled the past decade are probably going to thrive far more this decade. So the Federal Reserve has completely and totally turned the economy on its ear, if you will, and changed the assets of the things that are going to likely really give you a return. So that, I think that's first-order business, macroeconomic. That is something that is extremely important to keep in mind. Obviously, there are exceptions to the rule like anything else out there. But that, I, you know, you don't want to fight the current. They like say don't fight the Fed. You know, the trend is your friend. You hear all these kinds of different terms, okay? Well, the trends have changed, okay? And don't fight the Fed, <laughs> strongly recommend though both of those things it's really wise the other thing I wanted to get at and we'll start talking about today is some of the questions that I've been receiving recently of course and a lot of it involves like access to funds what what I'm starting to see with a lot of my clients and potential clients is we're already seeing some opportunities present themselves with uh, I've got some clients looking at purchasing businesses or um expanding their business that kind of thing and they're looking for access to monies and your personal bank of course is a great source of that because you have access to the monies at the lowest interest rate you can access money anywhere today i mean we've got loan rates in, in the 5% range right now and you can't get that anywhere else not from a bank or anything like that from a lending standpoint in fact um even mortgages, 30-year fixed mortgages, are in the 6% range. That's with great credit. Six high sixes, sevens even. And uh, car loans, things like that, 7, 8, 9% is the norm with good credit. Again, the, the days of cheap money, uh, easy monetary policy, uh, low interest rates, those are gone, folks. And uh, if you haven't already realized that, I want you to understand, that's what I was sharing earlier. Not only are they gone, they're likely not coming back anytime in the near future. Again, with the Federal Reserve stating they're not going to... Not only the Federal Reserve, but Bank of China, Bank of Europe, all saying the same thing. They're not going to be reducing interest rates anytime through 2024, even. That just means these higher interest rates, these higher cost of borrowing money, is going to be with us for a while. And your personal bank gives you access to money cheaper than you can get it anywhere else. It's always, typically... not all, well, it's typically a lower or cheaper cost of money than anywhere else anyway at any time because we can borrow at prime minus rates if you don't know what prime is i'm going to encourage you to stay tuned because i'm going to share more about that in the next segment even today we can uh borrow at rates that are you know like at prime or below prime okay and if you are in a position where you ever borrow money for any reason you know whether it's maybe a mortgage or a car loan or business loan or anything else for that matter, if you're gonna borrow money, you, there's a couple of key interest rates that you really need to be aware of to be savvy on borrowing because borrowing money is just as important, being savvy with it, being strategic being in, uh, with it is just as important, by the way, as growing your money. And I find, interestingly, that far more people are not aware or are less aware Of lending practices, the borrowing side of things, banking, the banking world, if you will, than they are, say, in the growth side of growing money. Both are equally important. Both need to be understood and understood well to be successful with your financial and money management. So these are very important topics. So I'm going to encourage you to stay tuned in the next segment. Like I said, I'm going to discuss what interest rates, there's two particular interest rates that you, as a borrower, at any point, or a lender for that matter, need to be aware of to be savvy about the lending industry. So I'm going to encourage you to stay tuned. Don't miss it.
1: Stay tuned for more common sense from Ferens. For more information, contact Ferens at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show with Ference Toth. Want more information? Contact Ference at 866 268 4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866 268 4422. Now back to the show with Ference Toth.
2: Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show. This is Ference. And what I was discussing in the first segment and really leading into is understanding the lending side of money, the borrowing side. Why I feel this is so important, and is that I? It's because I find it so not even misunderstood, but just not understood at all. So many people I just talk to, I'll say, are you familiar with the prime rate or the Fed rate or these different things?" And it really comes down to is, yeah, they've heard the the words, but they don't really understand really what it's all about or what's involved. So whether you're a lender or a borrower of money, and let's face it, folks, all of us or nearly all of us at some point of time in our lives we're on one side or the other of that equation right that's just real life okay it's it's key to understanding that borrowing of money understanding that being savvy with that being being strategic being being intelligent money management with that is just as important and sometimes even more important than the understanding the growth side so I'm going to get into this a little bit because, again, I've got some, got some experience and background in that side. I was on the board. I was the chairman of the board of a, of a, a bank in formation for a couple of years uh, where we were in the process of opening a bank in Scottsdale, Arizona, FDIC-insured bank. Uh, of course, I stepped away from that, thankfully, about a year before all the small banks got in trouble. Not that I saw that coming, to be fair. It's just it was consuming too much of my time, so I decided to step back. But to be fair, I learned a lot about the lending side, the banking world, if you will, and it is very, very much not understood by most people. So let's jump into some things that are really important. First thing, first of all, there's two interest rates you need to understand if you're, again, going to be a borrower or a lender. There's a lot of private money lenders out there I work with, clients and stuff like that. It's a great way to to get a return on your money. to be a private money lender, okay, it really is um, being your own bank, if you will. But being borrowing money too, you need to understand these things. So the two interest rates that are so important are one, the Fed rate or the federal funds rate, and the prime rate. Now the federal fund rate, funds rate is the one that we hear about. The Federal Reserve talks about all the time, where you know the Fed raises or lowers rates by a quarter point or half a point, this kind of thing. It's been in the news a lot the past year, okay. To give you an idea, the federal funds rate was 0.25, about a little over a year ago. We're talking about early 2022. It was 0.25%. And what that meant is, that's the rate that the Federal Reserve set that banks borrow money from each other, or also known as the overnight lending rate. And why is this important? You'll see in a minute why this is important, but the key to it is the Fed rate, the federal funds rate, is, is the basis of pretty much where all other rates are either directly or indirectly affected by, okay? Because the Federal Reserve is really the source of, of money in our economy. Right or wrong, I know there's a lot of arguments back and forth, and and I agree with a lot of those, whether the Federal Reserve should be uh, really controlling our money or not. I'm not here to talk about that on this, <laughs> comment about that on this show. That's a whole different discussion. What I'm trying to do is, you know, if you want to understand the game, and unfortunately, and fortunately or unfortunately, that's the game we're in. That's the economic game where we live in today. If you want to win, you have to understand the rules. My wife says that all the time. If you want to win the game, know the rules. And I'll give you a quick analogy. You can take some of the best athletes in the world, put them on a field or a court, throw a ball to them, and say, play, play ball. And what's the first question they're going to ask? Well, what are the rules? Because unless they know the rules of the game, you can be the best athlete in the world, but you can't win, okay? So understanding the rules is key. So the federal funds rate is the first one you need to understand, and the second one is the prime rate. The Fed rate is set by the Federal Reserve. That's the rate that banks loan money to each other overnight. It's uh, known as the overnight discount rate or whatever sometimes. The reason banks loan money back and forth to each other overnight is... They are required by law to balance their books every day. So if a certain bank has, does a lot of lending, let's say, so another, in other words, a lot of money goes out. Of course, we all know banks take in deposits, they receive funds, and then they loan majority of that back out in loans, right? Business loans, car loans, home loans, whatever. Well, let's say a bank has a really good day and they loan out a lot of money. Well, that means a lot of money goes out the door. They have to have a certain amount in reserves, a certain percentage by law in reserves each and every day. Well, if a bank overloans that particular day, therefore their reserves are below the threshold, below the minimum required threshold, they will then borrow overnight from a different bank who has excess reserves that day, and banks charge each other that rate. And like I said, that rate Early 2022 was 0.25%, a quarter of a point. It was really cheap, super cheap. So, money that's called easy monetary policy, cheap money, if you will. And uh, that tends to help business, uh, you know, grow and the economy to expand because money's cheap. It's easy and, um, you know, easy to invest, grow, expand your business, all those kinds of things, right? In from the early, let's say, Early 2022 to 2023, about a little over a year later, the Federal Reserve had raised that discount rate, or the Fed rate, from 0.25 to 5.5. In other words, over a 20-fold increase, 20 times increase. Therefore, the cost of borrowing money, the cost of, for banks to balance their books each day, if they lend lended money out, they had to borrow the from a different bank overnight to balance their books, to have enough cash reserves, you know, cash on hand in reserves required by law. Well, the, the cost of that money, the cost of borrowing that money increased twenty fold. And there you go, right there's a simple example of why the cost of borrowing higher interest rates increases the cost of money or the incre- increases the cost of borrowing. Okay? Now, the second interest rate to understand is known as the prime rate. It's called the Wall Street Journal prime rate. It's posted by the Wall Street Journal each month and it takes an average of the top 30 banks in the United States and it averages out what the the average loan rate the banks charge to their, you know, to their good customers or customers with good credit. Now, t- traditionally, typically, the prime rate is about 3% or 3 points, I'm sorry, 3 points higher than the Fed rate. So if we go back to early 2022, like I stated earlier, the Fed rate was 0.25%. The prime rate was 3.25%, or in other words, 3% above the Fed rate. Why is that? Why is it 3% higher? Well, that's basically the spread or the profit that banks operate on. In other words... The Fed the banks can access a Federal Reserve Bank and access money from the Federal Reserve back then at a zero at a 0.25% rate, and then loan it out to you or I as a good customer at 3.25%, therefore making a 3% profit on that loan or on that mar- money. Again, when a lender lends money out, like a bank, they collect the interest, and it's the interest that's their profit. That's how they make money. And... If they're charging 3% more than they're than it costs them, they're keeping the difference, the spread, the positive arbitrage, positive cash flow, whatever you want to call it. Okay, and that that spread is 3%. That's the typical normal average. Now, when the Fed raised rates to federal rate to 5.5%, that's where you saw started to see the prime go up to 8.5%. That is why. You see interest rates, borrowing rates, have gone up so much. Because again, the cost for a bank to borrow money is now about 5.5%. And they still have to make their 3% profit. So they're going to charge you and I, a good customer, around 8.5%. Now there are exceptions to that here and there. It happens. But the reality is that's the norm. And so you can take a 30-year... Here's another example a lot of people are aware of. You take a 30-year fixed mortgage... Now they're not exactly correlated completely to the Fed rate or the prime rate, if you will, I should say. But they're really they're in in let's put it this way, they're they're relatively the same, okay? And they give you an idea again, going back to early 2022, everybody knew you can get it with good credit, you could get around a three percent mortgage. We even saw some below three percent for a little while for a 30-year fixed mortgage, somebody with good credit. And now those same mortgages are approaching seven. The mortgages are are not quite going up to the prime rate yet. We'll see if that does happen because part of it is there's a lag period. people were reluctant to say pay seven or eight percent on a and lock in a thirty year mortgage at that rate and I understand why it's it's to call it the sticker shock right you You're used to seeing three percent now you see more than double people balk at that and say, "No, I'm back off so in the mortgage industry, there is some discounting going on, just because of the reluctance of the consumer willing to um, pay that. Is what it boils down to. But in other areas like car loans and things like that, um, those changes for the most part have changed much quicker. Look, if you want to buy a car and finance it today, you're probably looking at at least seven, probably eight or nine percent. depending on that's with good credit, okay. So that's why that happens. That 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 Federal Reserve rate. And that prime rate correlate to each other, okay? Both up and down. Now, what is uh, you need to understand, okay? Is when you're borrowing money, what is the most important aspect or, or or point that you need to understand? And this is such a huge, huge issue from a financial literacy standpoint, if nothing else, that I find sorely lacking. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in the next segment because I'm running out of time here. But this this whole point about borrowing money and debt is so misunderstood by so many people. It's shocking, really. And so I want to try to cut through some of that and educate people and help them understand that all debt is not bad, for one. You need to understand the difference between consumer debt and strategic debt. And even with consumer debt, need to understand there are things you can do to mitigate that to minimize consumer debt, which is the type of debt that can get you in trouble financially. Strategic debt is where you can actually build wealth. So I'm going to get into in this next segment here, I'm going to discuss the difference between consumer debt and strategic debt. And I'm also going to touch on when you do have to take on consumer debt, bad debt if you will, Many people will call it bad debt. Even when you take on consumer debt, what can you do to mitigate the negative consequences of that or minimize them so it doesn't put you as much risk as, as you know typically I see happen for a lot of folks. So again, this is super valuable information. Understand good money management and understanding the debt side of money, because there's two sides. there's the growth side and the debt side. And you really need to understand both to be successful and with money management. So don't miss it. This is going to be super important.
1: Stay tuned for more common sense from Ferens. For more information, contact Ferens at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show with Ference Toth. Want more information? Contact Ference at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Now back to the show with Ference Toth.
2: Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show, and this is And I'm going to dive into a topic here, as I stated in the last segment. And that is debt. And understanding consumer debt versus strategic debt. And then also how to mitigate or minimize your consumer debt even if and when you have to address it. And I, I this is super important because, again, understanding the debt side of money is just as important as understanding the growth side of money. If you're going to truly master money management and be successful in that. Okay. First of all, I want to dispel a couple of myths that I run into every week. There's... We all know there's a lot of people out there talk about getting out of debt all the time. You want to eliminate debt, and which many of us are taught that growing up and such is you debt is bad. Well, first myth I need to dispel is all debt is not bad, and I'm going to prove it here in a minute, and you'll see what I mean. First of all, there's something called strategic debt, and a great analogy, the best example I can give you that's probably the most familiar for most people is let's assume you decided to purchase a rental property and let's say you decided to take a mortgage purchasing that property in other words you took on some debt you borrowed money You put some money down typically and borrowed the rest and then you turn around and you rent that property out let's say long term hopefully to someone else and let's assume that the rent rental income that you receive is greater or more than the cost of your mortgage and other expenses most people understand that. That's called positive cash flow or positive arbitrage. And I have a very, very simple question ask I'll ask you of that. Can you build wealth that way? The answer is obvious. And I ask that question all the time. And everyone knows the answer and they answer it correctly. And the answer is yes, of course you can build wealth that way. Because we all know cases of people, or we've done it ourselves, where people have grown wealth and become very successful being landlords, owning rental property, right? We know of many examples of that. All of us do, historical and otherwise, famous and otherwise. So my point is, right there, that simple example proves that all debt is not bad. In fact, strategic debt can be good. Strategic debt can allow you to build wealth. And that's probably the first thing a lot of people need to understand right away. And get, and that helps them overcome that initial hesitation or resistance to all debt. You know, it's almost, it's an emotional thing with a lot of people. They'll just, I'll be talking to, this, talking to them and they'll say, oh, I like your idea of the personal bank concept and earning the dividends. I like the tax benefits and all these other things. But when you talk about debt, you know, they just shy away. And it's almost like, it's almost like, uh, you know, you don't want to touch, it's like touching a hot stove. You know what I mean? They don't want to go there because they're afraid of it. It's almost like an emotional, visceral, negative reaction because it's been beat into our heads, many of us, our entire lives. That debt is bad. And the thing you need to understand is consumer debt can be bad. Debt out of control certainly can be bad. But strategic debt can out- certainly allow you to build wealth. Your personal bank can allow you to do that, much like uh, uh, a real estate. Somebody who owns real estate rental property can build wealth. Okay, I want you to understand that. Now, what is consumer debt? Since we brought that up, well, by definition, consumer debt is real simple. It's anything that requires you to go to work to pay the bill. So, whether you work, you have a job, whether you're an um, you know self-employed. It doesn't matter. If you have to put out effort to pay the bill, that is consumer debt. That is bad debt, considered bad debt. That's debt that you do want to indeed get rid of as soon as possible. Now, what falls under consumer debt? Pretty much anything someone purchases. Uh, You know, cars, homes, any of those things. In fact, one of the other common misconceptions, I'm going to dispel another myth here. If you talk to... A CPA for example, most CPAs, most financial advisors even and you have them do you work with them or or individuals who will do a spreadsheet of assets and liability. see I'll do these uh, financial worksheets with people sometimes. and when you ask them to put a, a balance sheet where you have an asset and liability, your home, your residence, what category do you do most people and I'm again I'm including CPAs, financial advisors etc what category do they put your personal residence in asset or liability and the answer is most cases they put it in as an asset and my point is really simple if your property has a if you have a, if it's paid for yes it's an asset if it's a has a mortgage against it if it has a loan against it it's a liability in fact, some would even argue, even if it's paid for, it's a liability. And it, that even comes from Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki. Because, does that property generate any income for you? And the answer is, in most cases, no. It's where you live, unless you're renting out a room or something like that. You're not, that property is not generating income, is it? In most cases, it is not. So as, as uh, Robert Kiyosaki talks about in Rich Dad Poor Dad, that's something that eats you, it doesn't feed you. In other words, a better way to look at your asset sheet, your balance sheet, if you will, is does it, as he states, does it feed you or does it eat you? And again, in most cases, the vast majority, your personal residence is a liability. It's something that costs you money, does not generate money, even if it's paid for. You've, you still have utilities, you still have, um, you, know, you know, property taxes, stuff like that, even if the property is paid for, right? And your personal residence. Now look, I understand you have to have somewhere to live. We all do. We all need food, clothing, shelter, right? What you need to understand is that there is a cost to live. That's the reality of our society. You just, it's hard to live for free, right? So there is an expense to live. But to put your property as an asset with true money management, truly understanding money management, that's the first mistake. One of the most common mistakes that I see made. Your personal residence, paid for or otherwise, is not an asset. It actually costs you cash flow, negative cash flow, not positive cash flow. A rental property with a positive cash flow is the opposite. It is, as I stated earlier, it's an asset investments things like that to generate interest or dividends or whatever of course are are po- those are assets okay those generate positive cash flow or you can have assets that increase in value okay those those are they feed you they're not eating you so that's that's one of the other key points to understand about money management and debt is you can take on debt like i stated earlier and as long as your cost of borrowing is less than what you're earning, you're getting to keep the difference. That's called positive arbitrage or positive cash flow, which is what we talk about on the show all the time. Your personal bank allows you to take cash, put it into a policy, which now creates an asset you can borrow against, and create positive cash flow because your cost of borrowing is less typically than your, what you're earning. So you get to keep the difference. And that's where the opportunities start to open up. And that's where the opportunities to expand your money, for your money to continue to grow, that's where they come from. And I'll give you a couple of examples of some clients I've dealt with just in the last day or two. Um, These are both examples. Uh, One gentleman is looking at purchasing a business. It's going to give him a positive cash flow. It's an established business. It looks like a good op he feels like it's a good opportunity, okay? And he wants to invest in that business to get that cash flow. Well, he has a couple of choices. He could take some monies he has from whatever investments he may have, whether it's in the bank or other in the stock market or anywhere else for that matter, and he could take that money and invest it in the business and get whatever that return is positive cash flow that business generates, okay? That's pretty straightforward, most people understand that. But he he'd been he's listened to this show, he's a client, he has a personal bank policy, so he asked me, "Look, should I take my money from an, another asset or should I access the funds from the policy and invest in this business?" And of course, the answer was take the funds from the policy because he has the opportunity now of borrow the cash in the policy is going to continue to grow. It's going to grow on a compound basis each and every year the rest of his life with guarantees, tax-free, all that good stuff. And then he can borrow against it at a lower rate than what he's earning and take that money and invest in that business. Now, in his case, he told me his expected return, return on investment, is going to be about 10% annually at least for the first couple of years, and he expects more than that by year three on. Let's just assume his return is 10%. Well, again, if he took some cash and just invested it, he would get his 10% return, if that was the case. Or, if he puts it in the policy, then borrows against the cash in the policy and purchases that business, he's going to get his 10% return with the business, either way. But he also picks up the ability to create positive arbitrage, with the money he used to purchase the business. And let, the average, by the way, historical is 2 to 3% annually, just so you know. So let's just say he got a 2%. Let's be conservative. 2% positive arbitrage. Therefore, the 10% he earned on the business, he also would pick up an extra 2% on the money used, the difference between the dividends he's earning minus the interest he was getting charged. So now he's making 12% on his money instead of Ten, heck, folks! Even if it's one percent, even if it's less than one percent positive arbitrage, it's still more money in your pocket doing it this way versus not doing so. You see the difference? You see what I'm trying to say? And again, this is all kind of ties into the same concept I've been talking about this whole show: is understanding the power of lending, the power of debt, strategic debt, the power of strategic debt allowing you to grow wealth and even having your money grow increasing the return increasing the growth on your money beyond just whatever the investment's going to do banks certainly understand this that's this is what the entire banking industry is built upon and whether you like banks or dislike banks doesn't really matter i think we can all agree that banks and banking are savvy about money in general Yes, there's some exceptions. We all have heard about some of those recently. But the reality is, overall, banking, bankers (laughs) are savvy about money. And we can learn from them. We can apply those same principles and earn more on our money, gain positive cash flow on our money, positive arbitrage, just like banks do, while still earning whatever gains we're getting on the investment we made, whether it's a business, a stock, a piece of real estate, or anything else for that matter. And that's what I'm trying to help every folks understand, listening to the show, is how you can do better. You can get increased, enhanced returns on your money over and above what you're doing already right now. Stay tuned. Next segment, I've got a few more examples I'm going to share with you, some questions with some recent Uh, clients and prospective clients so this will be great you don't want to miss it
1: stay tuned for more common sense from ferens for more information contact ferens at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com that's 866-268-4422 Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show with Ference Toth. Want more information? Contact Ference at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Now back to the show with Ference Toth.
2: Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show. This is Ference. I have been discussing a lot today about strategic debt, understanding how you can build wealth through debt or increase the rate of returns on investments by strategically using debt. If you missed what I've been sharing, I think it's, frankly, it's solid been solid gold, okay? It's, it's kind of information that you just don't hear anywhere else, okay? If you missed it, go to personalbank.com. You can listen to this or any of the previously recorded shows. Um, and I know I'm, I'm tuning my own horn a little bit here, but it, again, this is something I run into on a daily and weekly basis, and there's such a high level of misunderstanding or lack of understanding of understanding the debt side of money, being savvy about that, and for savvy money management. Look, you can grow your money, that's all well and good, but understanding leverage, understanding the debt side of money, can really, really enhance your money management skills and your results. The entire banking industry does it. I can tell you that for a fact. I think we all know that. Um, many of your wealthy or investors, institutional investors, insurance companies, all those kinds of folks, they do this. On, the whole bond, the whole bond world works this way because a bond, by by definition, is a debt instrument. And this is something again, not to be afraid of, but to better understand. I think a lot of people just shy away because they just really don't feel comfortable or confident. They don't have a level of understanding to feel confident or comfortable. And I just want you to understand, there's no reason to shy away from it like a hot stove. It really can be your friend. Debt can be an enemy, no doubt, no question. You can get yourself in trouble. You can get underwater, behind on payments, but that is caused by consumer debt. That means, again, debt that you have to work for. If you have to go to work to pay the bill, that is a bad that can turn into a, a bad situation. It can get really ugly really fast, especially if you can't make the payments. We all know that. That's why people shy away from it and maybe have been burned at some point in their lives getting behind on payments and they're, they vow never to go back there again, but by so doing, lose out an entire world of strategic debt where they could really build wealth or have their money grow even further and they shy away because of a bad experience with bad consumer debt. Look, I agree. Bad consumer debt is something you want to avoid. You want to avoid borrowing money that you again, consumer debt where that you have to work for and pay the bills on as much as possible. You want to minimize that as much as possible. And let me give you a couple of examples that and then I'll show you and then I'll share some examples of strategic debt where you can really build wealth. I've shared a couple previously. But let, but from the from the consumer side, this this shock has shocked me. So, I bought a truck. Shortly, it was early 2022, and it was right before the Federal Reserve started raising rates. They announced they we were going to raise rates, so I knew that was going to happen. But interest rates were still very very low, and i i want, I needed a, I wanted a new vehicle at that point, and I found a, found a vehicle I was looking for. I went into and I found it at a dealer of all places, and I went into there, and this this was experience was eye opening for me. So I went into the dealer and I said, "Hey, I had the money uh, set aside in my personal bank policy. I had the cash I could access from it and get positive arbitrage, positive cash flow, and take the cash and buy the truck, which is how I teach people to do all the time. Now that when do you?" not use the money in your policy. Well the cost of borrowing for me at that time was three was just over three percent. Okay? And so if you can borrow money at a lower rate than that somewhere else, by all means take the cheaper money. So anyway, the question I made I went into the dealer, negotiated the price, then I stated I would they you know, always ask you if you're gonna finance or pay cash and and I said I I may do either depends on the interest rates and payments or the total amount. Anyway the bottom line is, I was willing to pay cash by borrowing from my policy. But if they could give me a good enough rate, I would borrow the money because it was cheaper to borrow it from them than it would be from where I was borrowing from my own bank line of credit from my policy, right? Anyway, the bottom line is, I said to them, what's the lowest interest rate you can get me? Uh, you know, and, and with best credit and all that kind of good stuff. And they, they responded by 3%. I said, okay, at that time. Please understand, you can't get one of those loans today. And I knew that. I knew those were going away soon. I said, okay, my next question is, you've pulled my credit. How much down do you need to get me that rate based on my current credit score and all that? Well, they hemmed and hawed, went back and forth, and they finally gave me a number. This was interesting. This went on back and forth for a while because the salesperson kept asking me, what did I want my monthly payment to be? And I kept repeatedly saying... I don't care what the monthly payment is. I care about what the interest rate is. I want to pay the least amount of interest possible because this is a consumer debt situation. I was buying a truck. So one of the things you can do is when you do take on some consumer debt, you know, we hear this all the time, never borrow money, never take on consumer debt. Well, in the real world, sometimes it's not realistic, is it? Sometimes we have to borrow money if we want to buy a vehicle to be able to do that, or a, or a house for that matter, a place to live. Sometimes we got to take on some consumer debt, but you want to minimize the risk. You want to minim In other words, you want to minimize the interest that you're paying. The monthly. Everyone looks at the monthly payment. They based on, they base it on their income and what they can afford and all that kind of stuff. Folks, this is going to go fly against the entire. Probably what you've heard ever about borrowing. And here's what I want you to understand. When you, get, when you get qualified for a loan, let's say to buy a house, the mortgage lender, or whoever the lender is, or car, or anything else for that matter, they're determining what's the maximum amount they're willing to lend to you based on your income and your assets. Most people will go and then purchase that amount or, or close to it. Because they think they think of well, if the bank's willing to lend me that much, I, I might as well go for that much. No, what you understand is it's a risk assessment done by the lender. The lender has determined that they're willing to loan you up to that amount. Beyond that, anything higher than the amount, that amount is too risky for them. They have a threshold. In other words, their maximum threshold is that number. So let me just use an example. Let's say five hundred thousand dollars was your maximum threshold to borrow. That a lender would lend to you to buy a house. I'm just using that as a number. I don't care if it's add a number, to, add a zero, take away a zero. That, that doesn't matter. We're just using this as an example. Well, if you get qualified for a half a million dollar home, what do most people go do? Go buy the half a million dollar home, right? Well, what, what should you do? You should never go more than 80% of what you were qualified for. Why? Because that, that maximum number is the maximum threshold that lender was willing to risk. In other words, anything above that was too risky for the lender. It should be a way, a red flag for you that it's too risky for you, too. To try to go over that number is just too risky. The, far, the lower you are away from that number, the less your risk is of default. The less your risk is of a problem. So if you got qualified for a $500,000 loan, for example, you should never, ever... Actually borrow more than four hundred thousand or eighty percent of what you qualified for. I know it's not what most people do. I know it goes against conventional uh, what pe- conventional wisdom, but my question to you is simple: do you want to be savvy about money management or not? so if you're going to take on consumer debt, understand consumer debt has risk what if what happens if you can't maintain that income job loss. Uh, disability, economic situation, whatever that may be, health situation, you want to minimize that risk as much as possible to avoid those problems, okay? That's a very, very good rule of thumb to go by in terms of consumer debt, all right? As we stated before. So to finish my story, I guess I should finish this up. So they had the hardest time, this car dealer, when I was talking about earlier, trying to figure out how to, you know, I kept saying, I want the lowest interest rate possible. I'll put whatever amount down I need to get that lowest interest rate because I'm willing to pay cash, but if you give me a better rate, then I can borrow money elsewhere. I'll borrow it from you. Well, they finally again gave me a number and then it came back and forth. And finally, they had me just sit down with the finance manager and he was trying to understand what I was trying to accomplish. Finally, it made sense to him. Finally, he understood. We made the deal, took care and, and did the paperwork. And then I asked him a simple question. I said, he'd been there about 10 years as a finance manager, a large car dealership. And I asked him a simple question. And I said, how many people have ever asked you that same question that I did is how much money down do I need to give you for this vehicle to get the lowest interest rate? He said, you're the first one in his 10 year plus year career. That was shocking to me. He goes, every single person he ever talks to wants to know what the monthly payment is. And again, that is a huge mistake when you're looking at consumer debt. Never, ever look at the monthly payment, what you can afford. I stated earlier, never go over 80% of what you're qualified for, but understand any amount you go over, you borrow, has some risk associated with it because the payment is reliant on you, your ability to make the payment back. Strategic debt is, is the opposite. The payment is reliant on someone else making the payment. So if I use a personal bank example, who's paying the dividends? When you borrow against the cash and the policy, who's paying the dividends? You or the insurance company? And the answer is, of course, the insurance company. So the income side is based on the insurance company, not your efforts. Therefore, it's strategic debt the income is based on someone else. And then if you take that money and borrow it and turn around and make more with it, say invest in an asset or buy a rental property or whatever you do with it or business or whatever, then whatever returns you get there are over and above your positive arbitrage, your positive cash flow in the personal bank policy. Folks, I know I covered a lot of stuff today in a short time about understanding strategic debt versus consumer debt. If you have further questions, I'm going to strongly encourage you to contact me at yourpersonalbank.com. I'll send you some additional information on this. But if you can learn, if you can take a little bit of time and really understand the debt side of money and how you can be savvy with that, you can truly master money management. I started to say this earlier, and this is the last thing I'll share, that people are surprised by. Most people are familiar with the stock market and investing in the stock market. And that is all about growth and accumulation. You invest in a, in a stock and hopefully, or mutual fund or whatever, and hopefully it goes up in value. That's the bottom line. Well, the folks are something called the bond market, and that's where most of the institutional investors invest, the big money. And, the, and a bond, by definition, is a debt instrument. So, in other words, they're investing in debt, cash flow, income. That's what they're investing in. And, folks, the bond market is far far bigger than the stock market the big players the big money is in the bond market it's also known on Wall Street as the smart money go with the smart money the savvy money learn where the real money is and you can truly enhance your financial situation far beyond what you ever thought possible you just have to get a little knowledge some understanding and overcome your fear of debt again It can be your master, it can be your enemy, but if you understand it, it can be one of the best things you ever did in terms of mastering money, management, and enhancing your financial future. I'm gonna wrap this up. Say, encourage you to stay tuned next week to Your Personal Bank Show for some more valuable information. Feel free to contact me if you have any questions or want more info, or learn how to maximize your financial future. And as long as it's on our money, in God, we trust.
1: Listen Tuesdays at noon and Saturdays at 1 to the Your Personal Bank Show for more information. Contact Ferentz at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. This show is designed to provide accurate authoritative information. The presenter and guests of this program do not engage in legal, accounting, or tax advice. Professional advice regarding your situation should be sought if required. Some products discussed may have limitations and not be available in all states. Excessive unpaid loans may affect performance. Distributions may become taxable if not managed properly. Replacements may not be suitable for everyone. There may be charges when replacing coverage. Dividend rates and bank line of credit rates may change. For current rates, contact Ference at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. Again, that's 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com.